Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome back to another episode of Life List, a birding podcast. I'm George Armistead with my co-host, Alvaro Jaramillo. Alvaro, how are you doing today? Hey, good, George. Um, everything's um, super nice today. Another one of these, you know, you know, you got the drought. It's it's okay for winter weather. Let me put you yeah <laughs> put it that way. Oh yeah, you know, just nice, nice uh, sunny days. You, you like know, the we'll drought? Pay for it later. Oh yeah, uh, you know, it's like climate change. It's nice and warm now here. You know, so that's that's all right. It's got its perks. <laughs> it's got its perks. But I'm joking, people. It's, it's awful. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, multi-decade but, drought and Alvaro's in love with it. That's great. Yeah. I know. I'm. You know, it's it's so funny that we do like. Well, I know you like the the cloudy. I do. Kind of crisp mm-hmm. weather. Um, we have enough of that here in the summer. <laughs> so having having a bit of sun in the winter is not bad. But yeah, that was that's like a Mark Twain quote, right? Like coldest winter I ever spent was like a summer in San Francisco, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I, they attribute it to him. I'm not sure. It's probably what, uh, a scholar say a bit of an apocryphal know. story, perhaps. Yeah, it's who knows who said it, but yeah. it's a good good quote. Yeah, it's it's stuck. That's for sure. Yeah, nice. Well, what what are you seeing out there, man? What have you been doing? Um, you know, we did have our last pelagic of the season. It was foggy. It was not, you know, the kind of trip where you. Everybody came back with amazing photographs, but on the other hand, we had really great close views of blue whales, and mm. a Lazan albatross came by for, you know, just out of the fog for a bit, went back in the fog, and a nice tufted puffin. So, you know, there were there were some highlights, definitely, but, uh, you know, I, I just wish we had more visibility, but you know how it is, ocean... Or any birding, you just the one thing you cannot control is the weather, especially if you've scheduled something for that one day. But end of the trip, bunch of the spotters and people that you know went to uh, to grab some beers at the local brew pub, and uh, that was a real highlight. Just to be able to chat birds with various people and and hang out, and you know, folks even visiting, you know from the east and yeah you know uh well-known seabirders all sorts of folks right yeah. in there so yeah you got was, you got good great. documentation of the beers afterwards yeah that yeah, nice uh, photos yeah, yeah that that was well documented i saw a nice nice crowd <laughs> there good uh good crowd i was like gosh i don't i wouldn't even need to you know i think i i have seen i have very very poor views only in life um just one time of blue whale uh, so I actually, uh-huh. I've never seen one. I've actually seen pygmy blue whale once, but not seen blue whale really uh, very well at all. So that would have been pretty epic as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But um, the gathering of folks looked uh, especially rewarding. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it is true what a lot of people say. It's birding is about birds, but it's mostly about people. It's uh, mm-hmm. the people you sort of meet, hang out with, um, encounter, and, you know, we are social creatures after all, so that's sort of part of what makes it fun. And be, to be able to sort of have that event after just a solidly good season of seabirds was was just fantastic. It's sort of to really celebrate, take, take, um, take a bit of time to just, uh, you know, 
celebrate, truly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, especially lately. We haven't, haven't been able to do as much of that in uh, the last year plus as yeah. might have been ideal. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard to drink beer through a mask. So. <laughs> <laughs> Learn that one the hard way. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, that's great. Yeah, Kristen and I just got back from a nice little stretch down the Jersey Shore. Uh, no, no sightings of Snooky Albro. I, I know you're a big fan of her. Big fan, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but we did or- see uh, some hawks moving, some waterfowl starting to pack into places. The yellow rumped warblers have a robust presence everywhere along the coast, and we saw a lot of them. And and uh, yeah, bumped into a few nice birds. Actually, got to spend some time on the beach with some red knots, which may may actually winter in that in the area there. So there's a they're an uncommon winterer uh, in this region, so that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, that was that was real nice, and it was nice. It was just the cool, crisp weather that I was looking for. Even a little bit on the warm side, if I'm being totally honest, you know, kind of crested uh-huh. into the low 60s. And I was like, give me, you know, give me 40s, you know, gray, you know, a little, you know, a, l- a little nippy. And that's I feel like when the birds really are moving around and active yeah. all day here. You, you didn't see Snooky, but did you see the situation? <laughs> <laughs> You know, the situation would be a lifer. Situation would be a lifer. <laughs> yeah, I, need, yeah. Situation. I feel like it's possible I have seen Snooky, but uh, I'm not. Really? You know, it's like a BVD. Uh, the situation, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty certain I have never seen. So. It's 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 hard, though, you know, because I'm sure that when you go to the Jer- Jersey Shore, like half the people look like Snooky. Yeah, you know, well, that, there is a little bit of that famous, going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, but then we got back last did, night. and Did we temp- just lose all of our listeners from the Jersey Shore? Yeah, Are I you- think so. Yeah. yeah uh, we're, okay. Yeah, oh, well. everyone's gone. Yeah. 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 You know, we got back here to Philly, and I went out today, and we did this – this survey that we do every month um, in this kind of off limits section of the city uh, that's federal property actually. And, uh, and man, just lots of sparrows, you know, lots of, lots of sparrows, nothing really rare, but just high volume. And, uh, and you and I have talked about the Ravens before mm-hmm. how they, they, I just always marvel to see them here and, and, you know, you see them barrel rolling and soaring around and having a good time. They look like they've been here for decades, if not millennia. And, you know, before 10 years ago, they just were zero here. And, uh, you know, we just see them around now every time. And I, I just kind of marvel at it and, and enjoy it. So nice to be spending a good amount of time out in the field this week. Yeah, it must it must be tough to be a crow when ravens are around because ravens actually look like they're having a great time. They're just you know, like you said, barrel rolls, they have funky vocalizations. They kind of look more like hawks. Mm-hmm. They have a cooler shape. A crow must just sort of think like, oh, no, these guys moved in. Oh, man. Yeah. I, they can't stand up against ravens. It's pretty tough. No, no. Crows are pretty dullsville. I mean, other than... <laughs> man, you're harshing they, on everybody today. Harshing right. on the crows, harshing on the Jersey Shore. Man, I, I, I'm just a, a Raven fan, you know. So <laughs> not not sports wise, right. just uh, not Ravens wise. And um, yeah, I, the, the one thing I like about crows is when they sit there and call, and then they flare their tail and mm-hmm. they do the whole thing, you know. And there's this really distinctive 
you don't have to hear them to know that's a crow because a raven will never do that flare tail, bobbing the head back and forth uh, when they're calling. But so, yeah, tip tip from the pros. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, they are they are really fun birds. And uh, the one we saw today was kind of doing like you were talking about, kind of soaring around like a you know like a distant golden eagle or something. Uh, and uh, pretty pretty fun to see that. Yeah, I uh and it's you know it's it's getting to be gull season around here Alvaro and oh you know, yeah. We are we are at risk of perhaps overdoing our interest in gulls, but you know what? I don't care. I figure <laughs> <laughs> I figure uh folks folks that most folks appreciate gulls and and uh and those that don't I just feel like it's a matter of time. Uh, but it is getting to be a good time of year um, for gulls, and I know you got a you got a gull workshop workshop coming up and a talk on gulls as well, right? Yeah, it's a four part workshop on Zoom that I'm offering, sort of through AlvarosAdventures dot com. You go to my website, and then it's the uh, events, and you can find out more about it. But then there's this. Yeah, there's this group called the L.A. Birders, and yeah. uh, L.A. Birders is in Los, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, um, so you see. Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> LABirders.org, um, and uh, look for their webinars. They have uh, a great series of webinars already there that you can watch, you know, from identification to birds in flight to, all you know, warblers and, and pitnacks and, you know, poof bird specimens and getting DNA from them. They have a really broad uh, number of uh, webinars. So I'll be doing one on big goals, the big white-headed goals in California. And uh, I think most people in the East probably have never heard of LA birders and that they have all this sort of free stuff available. So uh, I would uh, rate it highly. Uh, and um, and also, um, yeah, if you wanted to just learn a little bit about goals, that is happening when is that uh november 30th and my and it's open to everybody on, right yeah that's open to everybody. i think you have to sign register. sign up or something yeah. register but the uh yeah and mine starts the 29th the day the day before the monday so um for the four part over two weeks you know uh on big white-headed goals uh yeah i like goals and i I think the issue with them is that a lot of experienced birders like them because they are a bit of a puzzle. So they're they're not they aren't simple yet they're you can decipher a lot of things and they also can teach you how to observe more critically because they actually give you good views. That's what mm-hmm. I really like about them and and shorebirds many many times like you can really get great views of these things. And therefore you know, you can either photograph or study them later or look at very specific feathers or look at really, really cool things on these birds that you cannot do in a sparrow or a warbler or what have you. Yeah, they are. I think one of the things, somewhere along the line, I think photographing gulls, I started to really appreciate that they actually are elegantly shaped and you know they they do they have like a they're you know they're they're aerodynamic they're sleek they're smart and they 
And as you say, they sit right out in the open a lot of the time, often close, and can still yeah. be utterly confounding. Like, it's not a matter of necessarily just getting a good look to know what you're seeing. You can have a fantastic look at these things and still be really challenged by them. Yeah. Yet, 98% of them, though, are pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing. It's like the average birder is scared off by the fact that goal watchers like to focus on the weirdos. Yes. But the weirdos are not that many more more weirdos out here in california as you, we yeah, all you know you guys yeah exactly in more ways <laughs> than one more more ways than one but but uh we do have a lot of hybrids out here less so in the east east or the great lakes area <laughs> yeah but good fun goals uh give them a shot and uh yeah think about the fact that you are getting great views and you can learn from that and what else are you going to look for in winter anyways? Owls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, one of the things I like about gulls in, in this time of year, you know, is is it really, it's, it's you know, you got kind of November, December, it starts to really heat up. January, February, really good. March, they're migrating. So you can actually, you can actually really witness gull migration, noticeable movements of them. Um, but if you get a flock of gulls, say it's 100, say it's 300, like you have a reasonably good chance of finding something sort of unusual. You know, they're pretty high reward if you put in your time. Uh, you know, they're pretty high reward. You 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 know, often you you get a decent sized flock. There'll be something else a little funky in the mix, whether yeah. it's a hybrid or or something. You know, around here we're in, in the Mid Atlantic in the East. We're often looking for the Arctic breeding gulls, the you know the northern gulls, the white wing gulls. And or the or some of the smaller things like little gull and black headed gull and kitty wake, um, but you know around here a really good day you might find ten species of gulls. Yeah, and um, generally there's always you know four or five six around and you can really put a good study to them and it's sort of like you were talking before about learning sound you know. With gulls, you can if you get your spot, you can eliminate the variables and sort of really focus in on yeah. a few species. Get to know ring-billed gull, get to know herring gull, get to know you know some of these other species out where you are. I'm sure California gull and western mm-hmm. gull would be would be mainstay features that folks could really start to hone in on, get to know, and then use those as a basis of comparison for other other yeah. different things. Well, you know the bang for your buck in terms of finding unusual things. I I've been involved in one way or the other in discovering or helping to confirm several new species for California, you know, and which is actually, you know, not a easy thing to do in a state that, you know, has a really big checklist, but two of them have been goals and, and they both have been right in my local patch, the, um, you know, Sladyback gull and kelp gull. Uh, so yeah, you know, you, you watch these places over enough time you build up some confidence and then when you get to the point where like what is that one you know Mm -hmm. that's a little bell start going off and uh we you know we don't accept vega gull the uh asian subspecies of herring gull as a species in in north america but uh once we do uh we i've recorded those here too so yeah it is a great bang for your buck in terms of you know, shorebirds too. I think shorebirds are another group where you can look 
look through and find oddities. And part of it, I think, is because we're looking at so many, mm-hmm. right? You can look at a thousand gulls in a day. So if it's a one in, one in a thousand bird, it might actually be in there. But can you actually look at one in, you know, a thousand sparrows in a day? Right. Or, that's that's a tougher assignment. Likely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I, and yeah, we had uh, we had a Vega gull here as well um, on the Bucks Christmas bird count um, that uh, I've been a part of for a number of years now. Me and friends Tom and Jason, some Melissa and some others have you know we've been doing it on and off for years. You know, a couple decades. And uh, Vega Gull was one of the most exciting things we ever fa- found. I remember, like, me and Tom were, like, scoping out some of these distant birds. And Melissa's like, what's this one, like, right here, like, practically at our feet? And we're like, whoa. <laughs> it was Vega Gull. <laughs> wow. Pretty amazing. I mean, at the time, I think there was one or two records for the East, um, Eastern North America. Very, very few. Um, yeah. And. You know, for those who are looking through the book thinking, what the heck is a Vega gull? So it's considered a Asian subspecies of herring gull. So there's a European subspecies as well. But Vega is really a Siberian uh, breeder way up north, Arctic, migrates down to um, to Japan in winter, for example. And then they show up in Alaska here and there and have actually even bred in Alaska. Mm. But they're darker. Uh, on the back then our herring gulls different wing pattern tendency for dark eyes and then the young birds i won't get into them but that's the general general <laughs> general gist. background yeah. yeah yeah big bulky gull with a dark back and, yeah. and i forget who was the coined but they were talking about gunmetal gray eyes I forget who was gunmetal gray yeah gunmetal yeah. gray yes but uh yeah they're they're cool birds and uh yeah i uh, you know, we we had that bird on that Christmas count that I always enjoy doing. We go to this landfill that's one of the largest landfills, I think maybe even the largest complex of landfills in the country. Uh, there's several big landfills there. And so as a result, you just get big concentrations of gulls. Unfortunately, you know, being landfills, they are largely off limits to the public, but been able to get permission through uh, some uh, colleagues there to go and census the birds there. And we often will have, you know, 30,000 or so herring gulls in sight at once. And some days, if you watch them come into roost on the lakes there, we've estimated close to six figures, even over six figures uh, of herring gulls. So we're really talking about an incredibly high volume of birds. And I remember years ago, um, I was there, but I was with Marshall Iliff, and he was like trying to tell his girlfriend at the time what he was doing. And uh, you know, here it is; it's it's winter, right? It's it's like like twenty two degrees Fahrenheit outside or something. It is cold, you know, and it's usually kind of a humid cold, and but it is really cold, and it's kind of blowing a bit, and we're up on top of a giant landfill, and it's like. We've been out there since daybreak, you know, we got there at like seven in the morning or something and gulls are flying all around us, crapping all around us. They're pooping, you know, it's like we're dodging bullets, these things. And his girlfriend calls up and it's like, so, uh, what are you doing? 
And he's like, well, I, uh, I'm, on a, I'm on a big hill. There's a lot of birds around. Uh, there's, there's some precipitation. You know, he's trying everything he can to, like, not tell her that he's standing on a stinking pile of refuse, you know, getting pooped on by gulls in, you know, 20-degree weather, and that he's been doing it for four hours. And I was like, man, this really is an unusual hobby. And I have to say, it's one of my most anticipated days of the year going to this landfill and seeing this spectacle of birds. But trying to explain to people what's so cool about it or what's so great is a difficult task. It's it's not easy, man. It's like it's not for everybody. Yeah. I, I got friends that are serious birders. They have no interest in doing this at any point in time ever. I <laughs> that kind of reminds me of ages ago at one of the places has amazing landfills is Florida and the Space Coast Festival is kind of known for gulls. Uh, amazing landfills. You're, it's like amazing. you're really pumping it up. Yeah. I know. Amazing. <laughs> Come for the landfills. Yeah. Tallest. You can, you can go to the landfill and hear the Daytona racetrack going off, you know, and the, <laughs> it's just uh, fantastic. But the birds are great and there are, you know, um, it's actually multiple stories are just starting to pop into my head but one of them is i didn't have anything to do that day you know at the festival and um jeff and and, uh liz gordon are going to the landfill to co-lead a walk and they say do you want to come and it's like yeah and then it's like well you know we'll drive you and i i get in to their car and i realize they rented a convertible (laughs) oh to the landfill and uh yeah it was not the best car for the landfill um it's great tourist car in florida not (laughs) if you're going to the landfill but the the other one was i'm uh, birding with one of the locals at the daytona uh i forget what the landfill you know volusia county County, landfill right and we're there, and it's actually really a wildlife spectacle. There are, you know, wood storks and ibis everywhere and gulls and bald eagles, like tons of bald eagles. And, uh, and I say, you know, to, to my friend and host there, you know, it's like, do you know that Benjamin Franklin thought that the bald eagle was not the right choice for the national bird? He thought, you know. It'd be that the turkey was wild turkey was the more you know sort of a, a bird that had presence and so on and that he thought or the timber rattlesnake kind of, timber rattlesnake timber, was one timber of his other ones yeah honestly. oh really yeah serious yeah. so in any case you got to tell me about that but so there's all these eagles eating garbage and they're actually their heads are kind of brown with mud you know and I'm thinking you know I think. I think old Franklin had a point, you know, as we're driving through here, the eagles are not the best symbol. Um, we're just joking. And then a whole bunch of turkeys actually fly through <laughs> into the <laughs> landfill and start chowing down. And I thought, no, nope. There's yeah, no, uh, there's no accounting for one. taste. Is there? Yeah. Ne- neither one. Yeah. I, maybe the blue gray gnat catcher would have been a good one. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Tim- yeah. Timber rattlesnake, what? I think is a good one. It's the, uh, and you know, and it's not it, a bird though. Well, that's so true, national, but he, but as a national symbol, I think it could have been, uh, right. could have been quite a good one. But uh, is it, is that, is that what it is on the, um, you know, the don't unites. tread on me? Yeah. Like, uh, is it a timber rattlesnake? Oh, you know, yeah, it's a good, uh, I actually, I, I should trivia. know the answer to this. I feel like this is like a real, you know, especially given that Franklin was known for being from what city? Yes. I feel, I feel like I, I think he's from the city of brotherly love. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of like pretty. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty pretty much the the most famous uh, Philadelphian, arguably. Well, um, after Rocky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's Rocky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stole his story from the Bayonne Bleeder, but that's a that's a whole other it's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, I'm actually not sure about that snake, man. I'm not sure. That's a that's. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to double double check on that. We will do uh, national symbols though. Eagles do very well uh, worldwide. Yeah, yeah um, we talked about the golden. How it's so popular. Yeah, golden eagle everywhere. And yeah. nobody nobody tends to choose like chicken like birds. Um, nobody chooses passerines for the most part, you know. Except, um, you know, actually that's not true. I mean the 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 ornero is the national bird of yeah. Argentina because it's industrious and makes these clay colored robin, clay colored thrush for Gosh, Costa Rica. Yeah. That is one <laughs> a little bit of a dud. <laughs> little yeah. bit of a dud. Sorry, Costa Rica, but yeah. uh, there's a lot of other ones you could have chosen over that yeah. one. But maybe there's a story about it. Maybe it's this song or something. I what know. I heard was that they said it was a good mother, and that that was like. And but it sounds that sounds to me like a story somebody came up with after the fact. Like someone was like, "Yeah, let's use that that mirlo. You know, we'll we'll use that yeah. thrush. You know, that'll be the the national bird." And then later they're like, "Why'd you do that?" And like, um, "Yeah, they're 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 good parents." You know. Yeah. And you know a lot of countries don't have a national bird yeah. at all or it's very I mean what what is the actual bird symbol or national bird of the UK is there one is yeah. it the grouse is it the red grouse I do not know I, I do, do not, not know, know either yeah it should be like um, it should be the house sparrow english sparrow you know right right yeah. or the, yeah that'd be a good one a lot of andean countries have the andean condor of course yeah that's a that's a big one um in many ways, but I don't know what the, yeah, I'm sure Brazil must have a good one. I looked, I looked up the list of these, but there are many countries that do not have a national bird. Uh, yeah. There's many, but yeah, Golden Eagle is the one that's got like, it's got like three or four countries at least, right. um, including Albania, I see, uh, which is yeah. not one I would have known. But um, yeah, yeah. There's there's some there's some good ones. Austria has the barn swallow. I was just trying to look about songbirds. I mean, that's not really, but yeah, yeah. Austria has the barn swallow. That, that's an interesting one. Yeah, considering it's found throughout the world, pretty much. Right, but you know, golden eagles are found throughout northern hemisphere too. So, this is true. Know. Yeah. Not a lot of back half of the book choices here, but um, I forget. I, I guess Canada didn't actually yet pick a national bird. No, they have not. That's my understanding. Is that they were going they, to and did not. Right, and one of the choices was Canada Jay, and some people also wanted to choose Canada Goose and Common Loon and all sorts of things. But they were they were they had trepidation because some of these are provincial birds. So, like, I think the the loon is the provincial bird of Ontario. So why would, if you, you know, you're picking sides, if you're, if you're a Westerner and you're picking the loon, you're basically, you know, giving a nod to Ontario. Oh, the tangled so that, web. That's, oh man, you know how it is. East and West, it applies in so many countries. <laughs> Jordan has the Sinai rose finch. That's a good, that's a solid songbird choice. Wow. Wow. 
the uh, Sinai Royce. That's a good looking bird, too, oh, isn't it? Beauty. I mean, I haven't seen that, but. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, that could be a, an episode unto itself. Yeah, we got but sidetracked me, there. Yeah, yeah, we did. We went off on a little tangent. That's right. But let me ask you this, Alvaro. How many Christmas bird counts will you be doing this year? Well, I. One or two, but oh. not the full day. Look at you. <laughs> so Look might, at you. Might, might add up to like half. Half. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So seabird watching and gull counting is, is sort of my. Uh, I've, I've been typecast, you know, like you know, like those <laughs> actors that always get he's the thug every oh, you time. Mean that's what you're the, that's what you're doing yeah. on the Christmas counts. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get to run around in the woods. They're like, go to the coast, look out in the morning for flyby seabirds, you know, sea watch, and then count some gulls. Nice, and then that's it. I'm done. Nice. Yeah, I do my thing. I, I, you know, I pop in there like a, like one of those special agents, do my thing, <laughs> leave. And then you leave, and, you, and before you leave, are you like, my work here is done? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But see, you see, this, this is quite a change because there were times when I would do zero um, Christmas bird counts. I was going to say, would, to me, this sounds like an uptick. It sounds like, yeah, you know, this is definitely. actually, this, that, that was one or two more Christmas counts than I expected you to say. Yeah, I, I found my niche, um, and I used to really like Christmas counts way back, and then I kind of lost favor with them. I, it's hard to explain, but I, I always thought of them as this great, you know, uh, way to sort of get out, and everybody counts the birds, and we have this sort of scientific kind of, you know. Um, you know, everybody's out there looking at the same day and it's a superb thing and we're all united. And and I think that is true in many cases, but I started getting this sense where people were saying, okay, you got to go in your sector. There's been this rare bird, this rare bird, this rare bird, this rare bird. You got to go find those for the list. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. You know, Christmas bird counts aren't about the list. They're about sampling what's out here. And that's when I started getting this whole like I'm not I'm not sure I like the fact that I need to go and I'd rather just go birding, but then you know it's the whole thing of like if it's been done that way every time, to be consistent you need to do it that way every time. And I got kind of got pulled in these two directions of like I'm not sure we're doing this the way we should be and be. I think we got to do it this way because it's the way it's always been done. And then I, then I just stopped for a while, just get, you know, and then kids and all these other things were happening. So, so it gave me a reason to sort of say, okay, you know, it's like, it's a lot of time investment for something I'm not passionate about, but I'm, I'm increasing the passion now, knowing that I can add with my interest in looking out at the ocean. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where I'm kind of coming back in on it. But it's a weird, nobody's allowed in the birding world to say they don't like Christmas bird counts. Yeah, <laughs> so that, I, I, will, I will be, I will be the first. Yeah, It's taboo. Yeah. But it's not that I don't like them. I just had this issue. Yeah. So you, you guys, you and Christmas bird counts, you guys have sort of a, 
a relationship thing. It's sort of like it's complicated kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe. It's that sounds possible to me. That sounds you know, that sounds very possible to me. Yeah. Was I looking for a way out when I had all sorts of other things going on in life too? Or you know, maybe maybe someone's it. expectations were a little bit higher than they should have been. I mean, did you ever consider that? You know? Or maybe those four birds I was supposed to see I never saw. So <laughs> I felt like a failure. So you're a little bitter. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. But on the other hand, I know that for you, Christmas counts are sort of like a joyous family occasion, completely the opposite of my <laughs> dark, <laughs> yeah, you know, complicated relationship with the CBC. Yeah. Well, it's true. I, I've done a lot. I, I average, I think I average four or five a year um, since like 1985. And this year, I'm actually only doing two. Sort of constellation of events is is keeping my number low. I will do my my Bucks County PA count and and get in there and get after the gulls, and then I like to do the Cape May Christmas bird count as well. And uh, so I'll do those two. But that that might actually be it this year. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but I think I have a Christmas bird count for you, Alvaro. Although I must say I don't know which two you're involved in. So maybe. Just maybe this is one of them. It's in San Mateo County. Are you doing a Christmas bird count in San Mateo County? Yeah. Is it the Crystal Spring Christmas bird count? Yeah. That's that's my home Christmas bird count. Yeah. It's and that, the one that my backyard is in. And that, I believe, is compiled by Jennifer Rysinga, correct? Um, I think it's compiled by Leslie Flint. Oh, is it? Okay. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Oh, nice. But or, or maybe it's changed this year. I forget. Okay. Well, put it this way. Uh, Jennifer got in touch with me and Holly Merker. She's doing a little research on the Crystal Springs Christmas bird count and came to understand that it was a count circle designed in part for its broad range of habitats that include 15% open saltwater bay and ocean, 10% tidal salt marsh, uh, 5% exposed mudflats, 10% lawns and shrubbery, 10% freshwater lakes, 15% chaparral-covered hillsides, 15% farm and grazing land, and 10% forested canyons and ridges, and then, of course, Alvaro, 10% ocean beach. And who was the person that designed this ingenious? Christmas bird count well. It was a man named Jim Rigby from the great state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I have to bow down to Mister <laughs> to Jim. You see how I, I, I successfully turned that right back to me. So I think. You know, I'm not a numbers guy, but I think that adds up to 165%, which is roughly... Don't crunch you know, the numbers, Al. No. <laughs> don't, don't crunch the numbers. No. It's it's about right. It's a really amazingly diverse part of the world right here. Yeah. You know, completely two different climates. On one, one side of the Christmas count circle has a different climate zone than the other side, which is... And top of the mountains are probably a third. So it's crazy. Yeah, we we do pretty well here. Yeah. But 
yeah. and competing against a bunch of other circles in California that have a lot of a lot of diversity too. But again, that's not what it's about, right? It's not about the big list. It's about the census tracking. Yeah. yeah. It's about an accurate census giving you a snapshot for that year, which you can then compare to previous years and hopefully future years. Um, so you can document trends and in populations, bird populations, right? But it's also about the countdown dinner. I mean, Hell see that yeah. thing. See, I I wish I could have gone to all the countdown dinners without because that part I always liked. You know, yeah. Sometimes there was even beer involved. Oh yes, depending More. on the place, mm-hmm, depending on mm-hmm. the place. Yeah. yeah, as a as a past compiler myself, I can attest to that being the case in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's the part the the social evening camaraderie that's uh that's a good part of the christmas bird count so i'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm easing back into it uh you know it's like uh it you know i'm i'm sensitive <laughs> <laughs> you're just dipping your toe that's as far as you'll go dipping my toe mm-hmm. i i do find that it's 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 often difficult for me to pull away for an entire day to do anything yeah let alone bird for fun yeah, you know, so, I mostly don't do full days anymore either. I mostly mm-hmm. usually do half, I give half day efforts as well, or or you know, stick around till mid afternoon. I, you know, like we often say, it should be fun, and if it stops being fun, then you're not going to do it as much. And and uh, I think it's important to keep it fun. One thing I'm looking forward to this year is the same day as the Cape May uh, Christmas bird count, which is you know just a short drive from Philly here. Uh, the night of December 19th, the American Birding Association is holding its unveiling of the Bird of the Year for 2022 at the Triple Bottom Brewery. Um, so I think that is going to be quite a good time, a whale of a time, I dare say. So uh, if folks are around and footloose and fancy free that Sunday evening, certainly should uh, grab a ticket and come by. Uh, the ABA event that night should be a good time. A lot of folks will be there. When you were in the ABA, did you have any role in in helping pick the bird of the year? Do you know how it's done? Is it like a secret hat? You know, it's like actually in a bunch of names in there, random, or there, is there some event, or do they go taxonomically? Is it like Wheel of Fortune where there's <laughs> – <laughs> you know what? You know, Albert, you no I, I am I am sworn box. I am sworn to secrecy on this matter, and yeah, that's that, that is uh, that is that is something of which we do not speak. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I actually, I'm not sure what the what the uh, what the process is for that. I was around when the when that started, the Bird of the Year program started, but I'm not actually sure what the uh, what the process is involved there. I'll I'll tell you this much. I bet it's going to take forever for them to pick an Impidinax flycatcher. <laughs> I think there's you a know, good chance like, that you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. They they seem to all be birds that are have some kind of color or funky hairdo or something that you know even average people would be like, "What's that one?" You know, like, mm-hmm. I think green heron was one a few years ago. Yes, that's a good choice because it's yeah. actually common. Yeah, widespread, but, but kind of a funky bird, and people love seeing it. Bird. Yeah, they they're like, "Whoa, yeah. what is that?" You know, when they see it. Right. So, you know, with that in mind, you wonder what it could. I mean, hmm. 
I'd like to have to see a list of all the ones that have already been picked. But I know Kestrel I, was one one year. Chestnut collared yeah. longspur was one. That's like you know more restricted range one. Um, that's a weird one. I believe that EEV was one um, mm-hmm. when they added Hawaii to the ABA area. I think I think that's correct. Um, so those are a few anyway. Uh, Evening Grosbeak was one one year. So, Evening Grosbeak, yeah. Yeah, my guess. I'm going to just pull one. Great horned owl. That'd be a good there's one. Been, there's been no owls done. This is it. And if you know what's going to happen, if the ABAs listen to this, and I've guessed it right, they're going to have to change because they're not going to want me to have guessed it. Because then <laughs> it'll seem like I'm in on it. And You've stopped, ruined you know, the, the, bur- the bird I'm of the year it. reveal party for December 19th, Alvaro. Do you realize that? That's right. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> ABA, if I ruined it. <laughs> That'd be so funny if it is Great Horned Owl. Shameless. Shameless, I dare say. Yeah. Well, yeah, it should be a good time, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, one thing, uh, shifting gears here a little bit. I know that there was a rather important development in the Chilean birding scene. Uh, just these last couple weeks that, you know, legendary bird. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's not the, uh, elect, there's an election went to like tomorrow. So it's not that <laughs> <laughs> it's not a political development, but there's this one bird that I would say is one of the least known species in South America that actually has a moderately large range. That is so hard to see, and so few people have seen it that it's become kind of mythical. And it's a Fuegian snipe. That's how you pronounce Fuegan, it. Fuegan. 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 Okay, yeah, I, I got to say, I'm, I've always, you know, struggled and, to understand and it. It's, and I've heard people pronounce yeah, it a whole bunch of different ways. Fuegian. And I think you could argue, you know, depending on what kind of accent you want to put on. What, how do you pronounce it? But it's named for Tierra del Fuego, the mm-hmm. land of fire. Yeah. Or also known as Tierra del Fuego. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's this, uh, Fuegian snipe is this huge, one of the big, big snipe and very seldom seen. And uh, a friend just a few days ago recorded one, actually recorded the sound vocalizations which had been written up way back in a in a paper from 1930s like a, a, a verbal description of a call but nobody had actually heard one and recorded one so to think that a species of bird has just been recorded for the first time in history last week is amazing to me and um it's also the bird i most want to see because I was going to say, I've, I didn't think you'd seen this one. Like, as the author yeah, of the birds of Chile, this is one of the few you have not connected with. Right, right. And it's it's very difficult, but now it's getting a little bit more um, tangible how to do it. And it involves boats. You've got to go to these islands um, offshore. Well, not truly offshore, but they're, they're fjords cut up the bottom part of South America. And, and that might be the, the place to go and see see at one of these islands. Um, they like little fact, tussock grass areas, right? Um, it, they do in Cape Horn, okay. but 
elsewhere they seem to like soft marshy ground at the edge of forest oh, wow. sometimes okay yeah so so it's it's uh, unclear even what they like and they're tame so people that do see them often have these amazing close-up photographs and videos of this thing that's never seen a human and uh that is also appealing like yeah. see some wackadoodle bird that it's kind of like a kiwi it's a, that's yeah that's kind of, you know, i was looking at photos of them a while i, I listened to the recordings that uh, that your friend sebastian i think it was uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah sebastian yeah got he got looks like he had four different recordings and um and several different sounds as well not yeah. not all the same sound but several different sounds and yeah you like <laughs> not that you can tell what these birds are thinking but I had the same thought. It was like, these things are, you know, they got this big eye, big long bill. They do look kind of like Kiwis. And it, they're kind of looking, they look like they're looking back at you going like, wonder what the heck that thing is, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and they have like no care in the world, it seems. It's just sort of like, oh, there's a big thing. I guess it's kind of a penguin. <laughs> it's a really big penguin. They don't seem to, yeah, they don't seem to fear anything because they just walk around, you know? So when you do get to see them, you see them well. But they're so and little known. And what is really kind of a mystery is that there there are specimens in in the museum in Chicago, which has the biggest collection of Chilean birds, that are from well to the north and in the winter. And it's thought that they might be migratory, and they used to go to these bogs up up in the north. Uh, in places where birders actually live now, areas close to where birders are, but nobody has ever seen one at that latitude hmm. any, you know, in the last, I don't know, what I say, 80 years. Wow. So are they still migrating up into there and are they just not seen because birders don't go into those habitats or did, was, or was there a migratory population that does no longer exist? So many mysteries. It's yeah. just, uh, I, I think, some of us love the mystery of the bird world that not everything is known. And that is really sort of a poster child bird for, for mystery. For, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the, the re part of the reason these things haven't been like, despite some, like how many people do you think have seen these birds? A couple dozen people, maybe three dozen people have seen these birds. Is it that, is it more than that or somewhere in that neighborhood? You know, it, it, it might, it might be more if if you know a big boatload of 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 tourists right. happen to stop at right you know Cape Horn maybe the, the day number that of, one was seen you know yeah. but maybe the number of sightings but, uh, might be a better better metric yeah. there but yeah not many but it's, the part of the problem is even if you see once you stumble upon them the odds of them then vocalizing are extremely right. low um, right so Sebastian must have put in some time and got lucky also. Right, and I think they were all at night, which you expect with with snipe in general. Uh, and th- that part of the world is super windy, and I didn't hear any wind noise. Maybe you know on the recordings, so either he's really good at editing the recording, or or there were windless nights, which might be the key. So you just put it all together, and it's just such a unlikely event. But that that is definitely one of the the species that that I I would love to see, and. Uh, it's. I think it's a pretty cool looking snipe too. They are, yeah. And I think they used to be considered conspecific with uh, with Andean snipe. Uh, is that right? Yeah, the the James James snipe James, uh, Andean. Yeah. yeah. Which is but, funny because they look 
to me from just the photos I've seen, they look structurally fairly different, but I, I don't know uh, Andy and Snipe terribly yeah. well. So. They're definitely related, but yeah. then all Snipe are, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> In some right. respects. Yeah. Uh, I did um, in, see in Japan the uh, solitary snipe, which is pretty cool. That's a big one. Yeah, and it it struck me that it that it did that little funny like um, moving back and forth on its legs like a woodcock. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've seen that that often on smaller snipe. I think they all can do it. But it's the big ones that kind of start doing that funny back Bobbing. and forth, the little, yeah, the little uh, jig kind of, you know, little dance that Woodcock do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's that that was a that was a cool one. Took yeah. me a while to see that one. Yeah, so, I've always wanted to see. I'm a fan of snipe. Yeah, yeah, no, they're they're cool birds. They're hard to see. They're funky. They're weird shaped. They're you know, they just they got a weird expression with those big eyes, kind of on the sides of their heads and. And a lot yeah. of them are are secretive and and hard to see. So they've they've got a lot to yeah. appeal to the, you know, the birder that likes a mystery. And they're hard to hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Do you know that's where the word sniper comes from? Ah, I hadn't thought. If you're really sense. if you're really good shot, you're a sniper because you could actually, you know succeed on a snipe hunt right whereas if you take somebody on a snipe hunt you're basically taking them on a wild goose chase right wow there's a lot of bird stuff there snipe hunt wild goose chase (laughs) (laughs) yeah man well that is really cool and it's very cool also for me to hear you pronounce Fuijin. Fuijin. I can't even do it still. Fuijin. 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 Yeah. Like, I hear myself wanting to, like, I've heard people say Fugian, and I'm like, that can't be right. Like, I'm not sure what it is, but it's Fugian. In in Norwegian, that might be right. Yeah. Fugian. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. But, yeah. Fuijin. I think I can, I think I can hang with that. I think I can manage that. Yeah. And there's a storm petrel with sort of the nickname Fuijin storm petrel, kind of Wilsons, that in the future may be separated as a species. So we'll have a few of these in the end, you know. But it it is from Tierra del Fuego, which, by the way, do you know why Tierra del Fuego is called Tierra del Fuego? The land of fire. The land of fire. I heard this story. I feel like it had something to do with people seeing people from land holding up torches or something. Or is that totally wrong? It it's it's somewhat right. So the old sailing ships, the Europeans would, you know, when they came in through the Strait of Magellan, the the wide part on the Atlantic side, they would see these massive fires, right? And uh, they're like, "What's going on?" And it turns out, now that people have sorted out what could have been going on, what's the the indigenous population there? Th- there's a a super shallow kind of uh, part of the the coast where whales would often get stranded and there were there was always whale fat dead Blub- whales there blubber and they would and actually yeah blubber and oil they would they would actually set these on fire and have them going constantly hmm. um so it's constant whale fires that the people kept uh you know as a sort of part of their tradition eternal flame and, uh eternal flame and mm-hmm. that's what the the sailors were seeing at night all these fires from 
from basically burning whales. And there were so many whales in those days that, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, it probably wasn't uh, um, unlikely that there would have been multiple dead whales at any one time in some of these areas. So that's where the land of fire got its name. Mm. Well, that is yeah. a place that hopefully you and I will be about a year from now. Hopefully we will see your first Fuijin. Fuijin snipe. Fuijin snipe, yeah. I'm not sure we're going to the right spots, but... Oh, we're not, but I'm just... But yeah. we could we light something on fire. Yeah, well, I think... Yeah. <laughs> we can do that yeah. on the beach. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Make ourselves a little bonfire. Yeah, A bonfire in 40-mile-an-hour winds. Nice. All right. <laughs> nice, man. Well, we should wrap up here. Uh, anything you want the good people to know before we sign off, Alvaro? Well, I told you about L.A. Birders. Told you about the the workshops I'm doing, but check it out. It's alvarezadventures.com, then events. And you know what? I am looking right now at a peregrine falcon soaring right outside my house with a white tail kite beside it. Oof. Ooh, wow. Get away. Hey, now. Reaching for his binoculars. Reaching for the binos just to make sure. Wow. Oh, and a harrier just joined them. Goodness gracious. Man. Yeah, it's, it's well, I had, crazy. I had, I had two of the three of those today, but white-tailed kite would have been a nice addition here in, here in Philadelphia. Maybe someday. Yeah. Young, mm. young um, peregrine. Nice. Nice. Well, see, it's it, it's good to look out the windows every so often. <laughs> Never know what you'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back in the not-too-distant future with some more stuff. Thanks, Alvaro. Have a good day, and we'll see you around. All right. Thanks, George. Bye-bye, everybody.